Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second Phileas Club special. This is Republicans for Dummies. Hello everyone and welcome to the Phileas Club. The Phileas Club is of course the show where we talk about world news with people from around the world. But today we have a special show. Um, it's not going to be a, a news show. It's going to be one of the specials. The first one we did was uh, Islam for Dummies. And this one is going to be Republicans for Dummies. So it's uh, in a way more geared toward Americans and in another way... Uh, less geared uh, towards uh, Americans because I guess they already know what Republicans are all about. Um, so the the point of the show is going to be more to explain to, well, I guess Americans and uh, other people alike, what Republicans are really about and trying to get away from the... Um, the caricature of, of the angry right-wing American... And at the same time, trying to address these images and try to see what's behind them and what actual reasons might be behind the, the ideologies. I have three people with me today uh, who are going to help me explore those ideas. The first one is uh, Brian, who was already uh, on the show once before. Uh, how are you doing, Brian? Good. How are you doing? I'm fine. Uh, the second one is uh, Richard, and both Richard and Brian and uh, Brian are um, Republicans themselves. Uh, Richard, it's it's okay to call you a Republican. That's how you define yourself. Uh, I tend to lean that way. Yeah, I actually am registered Independent at the moment because of uh, things I'll probably get into later. But yeah, I tend to vote Republican far more than I do Democrat. So. I'll, okay. I'll take the label. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Because if, if, it, if you didn't, I would be without, you know, only one Republican guess. It would be silly. Um, so thanks true. for bailing me out. More of that later. Um, <laughs> and, of course, we have Randy, uh, Randy Jordan, who's been on the show before and who I hope will be uh, the voice of reason in this episode. Although you can go nuts if you want to. How are you doing? Hi, my name is Randy, and I am a recovering uh, right-wing Republican. You are? Oh, gosh. I was registered Republican for years before I figured out what was going on. Oh, awesome. We are off to a great start. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first of all, b before we actually start uh, to, to go into the topics I want to talk about, I'd like um, each of you to tell me so that we can set the context, um, as I was saying before, how you consider yourself on the uh, political landscape and uh, I guess what you think in just a couple of words, I don't want to get into controversy already, in a couple of words, what you think about the Bush administration and the uh, Obama administration so that people have context. Uh, Brian, go first. Well, uh, I, of course, liked the Bush administration for the most part. There were some, you know, I had some differences. Spending was too much. Um, you know, there, there's some differences there. But uh, for the most part, I liked the Bush administration. And uh, as far as Obama's going, I'm, it's just too early to tell. I mean, some things I don't like uh, already. But, you know, it's, it hasn't been that long. So I've got a ways to go. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Richard, Richard, how about you? 
Uh, well, I, I, I overall, I, I tend to agree with Brian. I like the Bush administration and, and for the most part, and I did have some big problems with spending. Um, but, you know, for me, I tend to label myself more conservative than Republican. And if you'll notice, there's a little bit of a break going on with that right now, and I tend to be part of that break. But uh, overall, I, I have issues with Bush that tend to be pretty big. But overall, I think he did a fairly decent job. Okay. Uh, Randy, how about you? I don't know exactly what to say. I, um, <laughs> if you just, I mean, if you just want to know about my, my, I'm the, I'm the, the majority that, uh, put Bush into office in 2000 and then spent the next eight years taking these eight huge steps to, you know, towards the left. I think there's a lot of people who have experienced that, you know, it, uh, it, it the, the eight years after, and really, we need to call it a 12-year cycle because there there were 12 years from the 96 uh, Republican Revolution, so to speak, in Congress until basically the 2008 Republican uh, death knell. And uh, over the you know over those 12 years, I and a lot of people went from being pretty solidly on on one side of the aisle to really, really doubting their ability to uh, do anything that's good for the country or the world. Okay. Okay. So, again, without uh, getting into too much uh, controversy, I just wanted to get a general feel of where, where you guys uh, are at. And, of course, to, to be fair, I have to say where I am at uh, also. Um, I guess being French, it's going to be... Oh, I, I forgot to uh, say hello to the chat room. Uh, just quickly, I just want to say hi and thank you to the people in the chat room who uh, came uh, on the show. And um, we have a few people there and we might call on you guys uh, during the show at uh, different times uh, to ask you questions and stuff like that. So thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, so I was saying that I am a, a French and of course in France we are very much to the left of... The, the world stage, I would say, the, the civilized country, at least. So that puts me, even though I am to the right of the political uh, uh, political landscape in France, I would be very much to the left in the, um, in the American landscape. So that would make me maybe a Democrat, I guess. And I was... Uh, I didn't really have any feelings towards uh, Bush at the beginning, I was rather, uh, how would you say it? I was rather unhappy with what he did at the end, and I was uh, publicly very happy about uh, Obama being uh, being elected for every reason there could be. I mean, not just just only because he was uh, a, 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 an African American. Um, so I guess that sums it up. And before we get into the actual conversations that we want to have, the serious conversations. When I was uh, preparing the show, I realized that we had to get some of the stigma stigma uh, out of the show. And, and, and the stigma would be all the um, Fox News slash Rush Limbaugh slash uh, what I call the crazies, because I don't know any better, of course. Um, and I figured that if we didn't talk about that at first, then it would a gloom loom over the show for for the whole uh duration of the of the of the conversations so let's let's dive into it guys um 
seen from here, for the people who don't know, uh, there are a, a number of political commentators that seem, how can I put it mild, mildly, um, they seem absolutely insane, is my understanding <laughs> of it. That's mild? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so people like, uh, maybe I will let uh, someone who actually knows better describe them, uh, try to be as objective as possible, Randy, uh, when you tell us about people like Rush Limbaugh, Bill, Bill O'Reilly, Sean Hannity, uh, Glenn Beck, those, th this crowd, how, how would you describe them to, pe to people who don't know who they are? Well, I, I would describe them as a reflection of Ariana Huffington, Keith Olbermann, Rachel Maddow, uh, which is to say both sides of any argument have people who are willing to say or be anything in order to get their argument to win. And those are the representatives, uh, you know, whether they're whether it's the abortion debate or the uh, fiscal spending debate or what do we do with you know taxes or foreign policy and so forth. People line up on either side, and out of those crowds always rise crazy people. And you know, Limbaugh and Hannity and Beck and Coulter are, like I say, they're they're like Huffington and Olbermann and Maddow. So I tend to just disregard all of them. I figure you've got your ex crazy extremists on both sides. I'm going to ignore both of you. And then we can get on to, you know, the real discussion. Uh, so things what, what actually the reason why I'm, I'm talking about this is um, I see on uh, things like the Daily Show and the Colbert Report for people who know what that is. Um, Glenn Beck crying for his country. Uh, saying that fascism is on the rise in America with the Obama administration. And now, no matter how I, 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 I think about it, uh, just no matter how I think about it, it seems insane to me. So now I, I'm going to give the, the, the talking stick to, uh, <laughs> to, to the Republicans and tell me why it's not insane. Well, see, no, I, I have to step in because I actually do listen to Glenn Beck pretty mm -hmm. regularly. And um, although... I mean, especially when you pull out a video of the guy, you know, bawling his eyes out. I mean, come on, even even on his own show, he makes fun of himself for doing it because he's a big, big fat baby when it comes to letting his emotions out. But if you listen to the show, he the guy actually is maybe a little bit deep into what some of the things that are going on might mean. But at the same time, the guy has very real concerns about the direction of the country and happens to express them very, very vividly and passionately, which causes him to maybe say things that go a little bit far and also causes him to cry like a little baby. <laughs> but at the same time, I personally find Glenn Beck to at least be the most reasonable of the people that are out there commentating, mainly because the guy actually does make a good effort to back his comments up with historical precedent and where he derived the idea that he has gotten to. So at least with Beck, and, and mainly because I, I do listen to the guy, if you listen to his show, there's actually a contextual line that is drawn through his show that brings you to the conclusions that he's coming to that make sense to at least some degree. Some of the stuff he might go a little bit overboard, but he also does a pretty good job in a show of, holding, of, of bringing that up himself. Now, the problem with that is, is when, you, when you do make statements that have the word fascist in them, it doesn't matter how reasonable a person you are. The word fascist has connotations attached to it that label you insane person. So you know, there is a bit of that in there. But when you start talking about uh, Limbaugh's and the 
you know, you start talking about Ann Coulter, but on the other side, Keith Olbermann and people of that nature, you, you are dealing with the extremes of those views. And Limbaugh is one of the guys, like I was telling Patrick earlier, I, I tend to do on, with my radio listening, I, I, I go from crazy to reasonable to crazy. And Rush Limbaugh's crazy. Glenn Beck <laughs> is sort of reasonable. And then I listen to Tom Hartman, who is also crazy. Um, okay. And and he, he happens to be on uh, the, the left-wing representative on, that happens to be in that time slot in, here in Denver. So I try to get myself balanced on that. But you listen to Tom Hartman, who's talking about things you know that are on the far, far left, and then you flip over to Rush, and you just go, they're both nuts. There's <laughs> no way you can reason with either one of these individuals. They're they're so set and locked in their world worldview that there's not really a way to crack that, and that tends to be the problem with those type of people. I think. But I guess the, the my problem with this is that um, I don't hear. Maybe I'm mistaken, but I don't hear a lot of people saying Keith Olbermann is the represent is representing the Democratic Party. Whereas we hear a lot of people saying, and a lot of people actually agreeing with the fact that people like Rush Limbaugh, okay, maybe that one is a little bit easy, but Fox News in general is representing the views of the Republican Party. Maybe I'm going to go to Brian well, here. Oh, sorry. Well, well with the Fox, uh, people don't – and then Fox News is, is a little bit right of center. Uh, you know, uh, well, the commentary, all their commentator, their commentators – are all are all right wing. Uh, their news, f for the most part, I think, is fairly balanced. I mean, they have some little slants, uh, but they. Uh, I don't think that they're any different from CNN or MSNBC when they are reporting the news. And those news organizations have left wing slants. I and mean, there's always these little, there's always these little codes and the words and stuff when they report a story, like when a, a Republican congressman does something wrong. They definitely bring up Republican congressman did this, you know, but if a Democrat does the same thing, then they'll just say a congressman. They won't say that, oh, it's a Democrat because mm -hmm. that would make the See, Democrats. I, I actually have so. a good example of that for you. Um, you, you heard about, um, what was it, uh, Tom DeLay got yeah. kicked out of the got kicked out of the Congress for corruption. Yes. All kinds of corruption, corruption, corruption. Tom DeLay, he's so corrupt. He's a Republican, corrupt Republican. You kept hearing that over and over again. Well, there was, you have to um, admit that there was a lot of scandals in the Bush well, administration. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that. But okay. on the other side, you had a guy named William, William Jefferson, who was a Democrat from Louisiana, who during Katrina had rescue people take him back to his house to get money that he received from bribes out of his freezer. And you heard nothing, no corruption, corrupt Democrat from Louisiana, nothing. There was no noise on that at all. And as a matter of fact, the guy is still serving. He was never punished. So, so there's a dichotomy there, though. You see, and that's what Brian's talking about is the difference in reporting is that on the one hand, you get slammed. You hear corrupt and Republican together constantly. But on the other hand, you have someone who has done something terrible. The guy's accepted bribes and done all kinds of bad things, but you don't get corrupt and Democrat linked together at the same well, time. OK, I, I hear what you're saying and it makes sense. But then I go to Fox News and I listened to a, a report on some uh, speech that Obama did, and as the speech ends, they say, hey, you know what, um, we don't know if it's related, but as Obama was speaking, the Dow lost like 10 points. 
and we don't know no. what if it has anything to do with that and we we're not saying it does but and by the way the, that that uh during that speech the dow didn't actually lose any points which and it wouldn't have mattered if it did so it seems to me like fox is more uh, slanted towards the right than well, cnn or abc well, that are uh, nbc not, that are supposed to be uh, uh neutral well they're not neutral the other mainstreams aren't neutral i mean that they just need to admit that, yeah, we've got a bias. And, you know, I think Fox is maybe Fox tries to say, you know, they're fair and balanced. And I think for the most part, they are. I mean, it's just there has to be a balance. In, so what is our reporting are, in the United so, States? Well, let me, because the the, the news the, are, are, are balanced. And then you have uh, O'Reilly and Hannity and, and Beck, who are like comedians or well, something. Or well, those, are, those are commentators. Though. Well, but what's the alternative? I mean, I can, as a conservative-minded person who wants to see the news commented on by people of a conservative leaning, okay, yeah. where else can I go to get that commentary? They don't oh, have it on that, CNN. Yeah. They don't That's... have it on MSNBC. They don't have it on the other channels. Fox News is actually the only one that has a conservative voice. So in that, it also makes it seem even more slanted because they're the only ones that have it. Now, if you had a speckling of, you know, if, let's take Glenn Beck off of Fox News and let's put him on CNN and let's hmm. put him on right after Keith Olbermann. Where he was used he, to be on CNN. He, he was on headline news for a while there, and they, but they did a pretty good job of burying him. But either way, it, I, li I actually liked Glenn Beck better on headline news because I thought it actually gave him more validity because here he is on CNN, you know, as opposed to Fox where people automatically have yeah. the stigma you know, Fox is slanted. So, so but the other. Uh, okay, just let me go to, to Randy here to ask him what he thinks about, uh, as someone who's taken the, the, the voyage from right to left, do you think that's Fox, that Fox News is just a little bit slanted towards the right, just as much as the other ones are slanted toward, toward the, the left? A little bit. Um, if you listen to Fox News, you well, would that, think that's that what that's what Brian and uh, Richard are, are are saying. They're saying that they're a little bit slanted, but not. My, my impression I mean, is different, but I, a, a lot slanted, as as slanted as you can possibly be. The there's it's hard to think of a show on Fox News during a 24-hour cycle that doesn't start and end with, uh, you know, the uh, attempt to cater solely to the far right wing that's the that's where their money is that and that chat now i i realize that that channel is is uh is not misrepresenting news they certainly omit a lot of things and highlight stuff that every other uh network doesn't uh, but i just i want to say i gotta i gotta make make something really really clear for the listeners uh, Bill Jefferson from Louisiana is not still serving. He was defeated in a general election last year. He was indicted by a federal jury. He was smacked around by Nancy Pelosi for years. Uh, even Dennis Haster joined Nancy Pelosi in a joint statement a couple of years ago uh, decrying his behavior. Uh, it's well, that, I, that so statement, that, that you know, that... But I, I, so I, I can see it. I didn't know that he had been defeated in an election. But the the point I was trying to make was, where were the reports on this? You know, if, well, if not on Fox probably, News, probably well, no, lost, no, no. probably I, lost I, well, in the floods of reports about the failings of FEMA and the Bush administration. 
well, is but my let, guess. Let, but let, let me be clear too. I mean, although I'm I'm sitting here defending Fox News, I'm not a, a heavy watcher of news in general. I tend to to get my news mostly over my local radio, um, over the internet. I, I, I read CNN.com quite a bit, so I'm not necessarily plugged into Fox News, but. I didn't hear, you know, I, in, in general, I don't hear re- Democrats getting slammed on as hard as Republicans are for well, doing similar my, crimes. Yeah, my guess would be, you mean on, on, on CNN and, and ch- channels like this, they slam on Republicans more than they do on, on Democrats, is your right. point. Right, and it, it's but, like I said, when well, you, like the with the, is, the, the example of Tom DeLay, you, you get Republican and corrupt connected at every chance the thing is listen richard again seen from the outside how many scandals can you take until you get a little bit angry i mean in the bush administration you had at one point you had a different scandal a week and maybe it gets that's it, not it, true that's that's definitely not true. it's not you could make the same you can no, make the same a, argument a for the clinton administration clinton administration had many more problems than than the well, bush administration okay had. monica gates but well, at Monica Gate, you had the uh, what about Whitewater. the uh, political? Well, the political uh, money, the money they got from overseas, foreign money into political campaigns, which is illegal. You know, they had money, you know, through uh, Indonesia and you know Sawarto. You know, the, so so it, what you're saying is that they're all the same, and uh, we're we're all the same, and the news organizations are all the same. Well, you're well, always going to see. I think you're always going to see something more or less from your point of view. I mean, to some extent, I'm going to see more bias towards the liberal side because I'm conservative and vice versa. So you're going to be more sensitive to seeing the, the bias on Fox News than I am. Because I'm sitting there going, yeah, I kind of agree with that. And when you agree with something, you tend to just sure. put it away. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty, oh. pretty. Well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, I, after we talked, I went and listened to Glenn Beck uh, on, on the Fox News uh, website. And I was very surprised at the fact that although he does look like he exaggerates a lot of things and he makes a, a lot of... Uh, how theater around his his shows i thought his ideas were in part interesting and in part not as bad as i thought they were from what i was hearing on uh the daily show and the colbert report and stuff like that now what came to my mind also though was that when the bush administration was doing the same things that he's uh or maybe things that he wouldn't approve of, those channels were not uh, getting angry in the same way. In, with the spendings and things like that, they wouldn't say that this was going against their ideas. They were staying faithful to the, the administration. So how can I explain this? And it, it hurt him in the end. That, yeah. It, it hurt him in the end because they weren't listening because... I had a problem with the the rampant spending, and that's why they lost. They deserved to lose the Congress. They mm-hmm. deserved to lose it because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They didn't and a lot stay. Of I, they didn't stay to, true to course. And yeah, uh, I do believe a lot of Republicans voted uh, against Republicans as opposed to for Democrats in the last election. Hmm. There's a lot of truth to that. Okay. Well, back to the the bias with the media. Uh, I'll I'll tell you right now. I, you know, I do watch PBS every once in a while. I listen to NPR. You know, I I, can't, I have an open mind for the most part. And 
I know on PBS, they used to have the Wall Street Journal report used to be aired on PBS. But what happened, you know, it's Wall Street Journal, conservative business, you know, minded paper. Uh, it's my favorite newspaper. They um, so every PBS station put the Wall Street Journal report uh, at like four or five o'clock in the morning. And it got to the point where they had to leave PBS and uh, now they have it their shows on Fox. So you have a you have a the Wall Street Journal, which tried to go through the system uh, with PBS, which is funded by the public here. And, and they couldn't they couldn't do it because they were they were, you know, the PBS and people in charge, you know, made it impossible for them to to keep their show going because, you know, everyone's putting on at four or five in the morning. And that's okay. kind of the bias that I, goes on I, with the main media. I agree. I agree completely that the Wall Street Journal got pushed off the cliff to their right, but they did it to themselves. You know, if the Wall Street Journal had maintained the same sort of reporting and pretty much lack of opinion that they had 10 years ago, they would be much more uh, well received than they are now. The Wall Street Journal. Has but that show was all the same thing. Those were the opinion ed editors that they had on that show. I, I realize that. And then what I'm saying is that the, it's the Wall Street Journal that suddenly went to the right the last five years. It's it's not that, you know, that opinion on NPR or, or other networks left the okay. Wall Street Journal somewhere. I think the Wall so, Street Journal has been the same. It's been for years. I've been, I mean, I've been reading it since I was in college and, uh, I haven't seen it, you know, I haven't seen it go more to the right, more to anything. It's it's pretty much yeah, maintained. And the news divisions right, and so the opinion can't. are different. <laughs> I would also think that people have gotten more sensitive in the last eight years as well, um, both both left and right. I, I think both sides have gotten to be a little bit more, you know, touchy and more, you know, finger pointy. Oh, you're biased, you're biased, you're biased. And that seems to be cropping up more and more. Okay. So to, to, to close up this part uh, of the, of the show, <laughs> let me ask you this. Uh, two questions. First, do you think that Fox News and CNN are equally slanted in different, uh, different, uh, on different sides? And is there any actually neutral news reporting organization in the U.S. today? So two questions. Brian, you go first. Uh, yeah, I think I think both are nearly equally slanted, and it's just that you know, you know Fox isn't going to admit it, you know CNN's not going to admit it. So, but we can all see it. I mean, I see it from my point of view. I may mean, see it in Fox's side, and I see it on the CNN side. Okay. And um, I'm sorry. No. no uh, okay. So. Second and I question. don't think there are any neutral news organizations. I mean, you would like to, I would like to think that PBS. You know, that was one of my my things with the PBS was that. They should be neutral. I mean, they're funded by all Americans, and they should at least have some kind of shows that show both sides. You know, have yeah. things. I mean, they have, I mean, they have left left wing people doing shows, and you know, they get prime time slots. But you know, okay, but you can't get that with a, you know, that's not the way they run their organization. Um, Richard, uh, I would think that both both sides are slanted, but not nearly as bad as either side would claim. So I would say Fox slants right, CNN slants left, but neither one is extremely as the other side would claim. You know, the Republicans say, you know, CNN super slanted. I don't think it's as bad as people make it out to be. Um, I, I also don't think that uh, any news organization is totally neutral, mainly because they're composed of people, and people are not neutral. 
as much as you try to claim that you are per, you know neutral and objective, the only thing that's a, completely objective is a computer, at least at this <laughs> point. So I mean, there is no way that you're going to be able to avoid putting your bias into what you do. The thing that I think would be nice is if people would admit their bias. You know, it's not a bad thing. I don't mind reading a news report from uh, a Democratic-leaning person if I know that they're coming from a Democratic point of view. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, and, and that's well, there what is I think also is little- there is value to reading the report as something that's being stated as fact when it actually is fact without bias. And I think True. it's possible, but I don't know. But it's hard, especially now sure. when it's in vogue to have an opinion about everything. Sure, but that's why the job of a journalist is actually not as easy as just opening your mouth. You need to, you know. Well, well and that's well, a difference between a, a, jur- a supposed journalist and a commentator as well. Yeah, yeah. It's There, there are different uh, ways to go about the job of being a journalist. And uh, Okay, um, Randy. Uh, there, there, are, there are three sorts of bias that you have to you have to examine when it comes to journalism there's the bias of what the producer and the reporter choose to report on or don't report on probably what they choose to not report on shows more bias than what they choose to report on there is the bias in what is actually written and stated for instance how are how are those stories reported on headline news or the nightly news and then there is that oh that big umbrella bias that falls down from the editors through everyone and colors the entire an entire network or, or newspaper and in when you when you divide up into those three segments there's nothing you can do about the first one that it, those individuals who are choosing what stories to to publish or not publish there's very little that you can say about the second one the the people who come on the air and use whatever words and whatever phrases they use if they go off the deep end like glenn beck does it's obvious to us so we you know we we can see the nightly news we can see headline news and say for the most part these reporters are just telling us what's going on in the world it's but then it's that big umbrella that really that really colors everything and it's always changing you know i like i say to, to say that the Wall Street Journal wasn't dramatically changed when Rupert Murdoch uh, bought it a year and a half ago is just to not examine the Wall Street Journal at all. I mean, I'm not saying it's becoming the New York Post, which is a laughing stock, but it's in the same stable as the New York Post now. So you can see the umbrella coloring it. You can see all of their opinions shifting. And that's the case with every network. I can't think of a network that I would call neutral to answer your question. So you're saying that CNN is has a systemic bias towards the left just as much as Fox has a systemic bias towards the right. Well, I think I think CNN's a huge network of of people, and I don't I don't know how there could be a systemic bias. Uh, I mean, if there is, then yeah, it's it's towards the left. But with the, the left lean is in the people who are choosing what, uh, you know, choosing what stories they do and and choosing how they word and phrase things. CNN doesn't have all of these, you know, MSNBC and Fox News type shows where people are standing around asking the question, "What does this mean? What do you think?" Hmm. You know, they're, they're, they did, they're they much would. doing a lot more reporting. Yeah. So, okay, I, I wanted this to be the last question, but I guess it, the, your answer is called for another one, which is, do you guys think that this th- there used to be neutral news organizations uh, a few years ago or maybe a few uh, decades ago? 
and now they are gone or they have transformed or has it always been like this and we didn't at least i didn't realize it as much uh again just a two-second response uh, response brian you know i think there was always there's always going to be bias it's just that now with the way the media works nowadays now we have just more access to you know people there's more outlets now okay you know okay. Was... richard I agree with Brian. Uh, the bias has always been there. It's just there's more choice now. And um, people, once again, like I said earlier, are a bit more sensitive and more uh, inclined to harp on this bias or that bias. And Randy? Absolutely always been. The bias ha was a lot worse before we were able to take the covers off and see what was going on in these organizations. Uh, perfect example, Jason Blair bringing down Howell Reigns at the New York Times. Uh, when we finally got to a point in our history where we're able to see clearly uh, what's going on in there, the bias is frightening. And uh, my assumption is that that sort of, of biased uh, operation had been going on at the New York Times for 100 years. Okay. Well, hey, since look at this uh, segue. Since we have always had a bias and there's nothing we can do about it, Let's just uh, talk reasonably amongst ourselves, since no one else is going to be able to do that. And let's talk about. <laughs> let's do. We went a little bit over in what uh, from uh, what I wanted, uh, but we still have time to talk about the actual Republican policies and what I wanted to do the show about from the start, which was um, trying to guess. I I. I touched on this on the show that we were on with uh, Brian uh, back in I don't know when on the the, pre the previous uh, Phyllis Club that you were on Brian and it was October. It, it, something like that um, it was the idea that um, again some people me included see Republicans as those crazy gun wielding monsters that shouldn't be allowed to think what they're thinking because it's insane Whereas, certainly for all of those ideas, there are reasonable reasons for this and, and reasonable, um, well, reasoning, really. Um, that is understandable if you take the time to listen to the argument and to actually pay attention. So that's what I wanted to do, to pay attention and try to understand what's behind those, uh, those ideas that seem extreme to me. So let's start with maybe the most iconic of the ideas uh, that, Uh, the, the Republican Party and the right in general is founded upon, and that would be taxes. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear some laughter uh, in the background. It would seem to me that um, my first question when I see what's happening, what's happened in the past few years and what's happening now, um, it seems to me that there is absolutely no good time ever, no matter what the situation is, for Republicans to think that raising taxes or having taxes, for that matter, is a good idea ever. It's never a good time or, a good, uh, or an appropriate solution to ask the people to pay for a little bit more. Well, here's the other side of that, though. When is it appropriate to have spending cut? See, and that's really the crux of the, the argument is if you're constantly asking me to pay more in taxes, well, then I expect you to be fiscally responsible and cut things that we don't need to pay for as well. And that's the thing that never seems to happen. Now, I, I have no But problem it, it, with paying it never, my taxes. But it never happens with Republican administrations either. Which is 
why the Republicans are having a hell of a lot of problems right now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because that's a, that, that's a, a principal tenet of conservative thinking. But, okay, so don't you think that we need taxes? Should, Absolutely. Should so how come every time there is a problem, no matter the nature of the problem, the solution is to lower taxes? Whether you need to spend more or spend less or whatever the situation, okay. the, the solution is always let's lower taxes. Well, the thing is, is the taxes has been, have been proven recently are to an extent a weapon and a way to disincentivize people to do things. There's the, the old axiom, if you want more of something, incentivize it. If you want less of something, tax it. So if you take it in that mode of thinking, if you want to encourage more business, okay, and this is really the, a big one. You want more businesses. We want more businesses in the United States. What would you want to do? Do you want to raise taxes on businesses or do you want to lower taxes on businesses? Raising taxes is going to make it harder for them to do business. Lowering them is going to make it easier for them to do business. I get, yeah, well, of course. If, you, if you're operating in a vacuum where the only factor on all business is taxation, then yeah, that, that might work, but... In the grand scheme of things, there are so many factors that impact whether or not businesses are able to grow and thrive. And taxation is not as important as, uh, you know, Neil Bortz would have you believe. I, well, I, I would, would disagree. strongly agree with that. I would disagree. Let, let me give you a I'm good a example. I live in Brighton, Colorado. We are a suburb of Denver, Colorado. We are a developing town here in, uh, in, in the area. Um, we want more businesses in our area. As a matter of fact, we've built different business districts here to, to try and attract business. Now, how did we attract businesses to leave other areas, other states to come here? We lowered their corporate tax rate. We give them a lower rate to move their business here, set up operations, and they get to pay a lower rate to start a business here. And that's how we attract people to come here. Taxes are a very important part of the overall cost and operation of a business. Well, and it is a part of incentivizing people to either do or not do business in a certain area. I, I don't think well, that this, anyone is going to argue that lowering taxes is not going to be good for business. I don't think that's anyone's point. Uh, well, it's definitely good for someone who wants to spend money. If you lower their yeah. taxes, they have more money to spend. But Absolutely. at the same time, and, and, if, you, if you don't fund educating the growing workforce and you don't fund Uh, you know, protecting us from our enemies and, and you don't fund uh, highways that we're able to transport goods on and so forth, then, of course, those businesses go bye-bye because they don't, they aren't able well, to, to do business. So that, taxation based, is what pays for on, all of the things they depend please. on. Yeah, Brian, well, go ahead. That's, uh, that's based on that, that only, the only way you can get more money in taxes is by raising taxes. And that's not necessarily true, true. I mean, uh, I believe in the Laffaker curve. You know, if you lower taxes to a certain point, it will generate more uh, income. And you can debate that or not, but it did work. Uh, you know, it has worked in their internet boom and stuff. And, you know, let it, letting businesses run that. And so one you're, of the other you're arguing that if you lower taxes, it will be good for businesses who will create health, uh, sorry, wealth, right. which will in turn generate more tax money to be paid to the state. Well, I think one of the best ways that, as a Republican, one of the reasons, one of the tenets is uh, well, why I lower taxes is because the best way for government to help people make a living, pursue happiness, is to stay out of the way. You know, any, any problems you have with the free market are less than that would be ca caused by the government itself. You know, it, it goes to the point where let people make their choice. Let people do their, what they need, you know, what they need to do. 
you know, that they're the best judges of what they need to do to make a living, to pursue their happiness. And, uh, and as far as like education spending, we spend a lot of money on education uh, per capita. We're the number three behind Switzerland and Norway. I mean, France is number seven. So, I mean, we do spend a lot of money. It, you know, that, that's not the problem. The problem is, is that can't let the government run everything. They're not as efficient as someone, you know, as me making my decisions. Like, but, because okay, I'm a business this, owner. This, I guess this is a, a, a good way to segue into healthcare. Um, and by the way, before I do that, I just want to say that in France, we're trying to spend less money uh, on education. And we're having the exact same debate, which is, but we need better education coming from the left. And from the right, people are saying, but we are already spending a huge amount of money on education. So what we need is to reorganize that the way we're spending it to spend it more efficiently rather See, than, I, than... I think uh, that I think that comes to a point I made with you earlier before we started recording, which is the, the uh, ability to disseminate control lower down the stream, as opposed to the federal government making all these decisions. If you can allow the states or even local governments to make more of these decisions, you end up with a more efficient dissemination of this money and resources. And, yeah, okay. Then and that's where a lot of things come from. I, I, and the same thing with taxes. I don't, my problem isn't that, you know, higher taxes are bad necessarily it's that if you want to pay for something the only way to pay for it isn't just to raise taxes you can also cut spending in other places okay and okay, then not okay. Raise I, taxes. I, i've heard the argument let me ask you this when is it a good idea to raise taxes is there such a time or is it never a good idea i'm coming back to my original point um, I would say in, in the mid-1950s when we raised taxes in order to build the interstate highway system that was a very very good reason to raise taxes Okay, so if I told you we need to raise tax taxes to take care of people's health because we have an aging population and uh, we need to, you know, uh, take care of them, would that be a good idea? Is it fair to me to say, can we cut spending in other places as well? Well, see, that's that's the issue, okay? That's the problem I'm going to have. The The basis of the Republican ideology and the right-wing ideology is always, well, we lower taxes because we're going to cut spending and you do one and you never do the other you never and you, you I know i agree and that and is so, that's actually why i have checked independent on my registration <laughs> instead of republican and that's one of my basic arguments against the, the republican party is okay, the fact but, that they talk one thing out of the right side of their mouth and do something completely different listen i i might anger you in saying this but you make me think of well when i say you it's the you know the the general uh, this kind of of uh, argument it makes me think of communists in in france and other socialist countries who say but we never actually had communism anywhere. It was, you know, a, 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 a socialist dictatorship or whatever, and it wasn't real communism. You'll see, real communism will work, and that's what you're saying. You're saying <laughs> the, we, we, yeah, the no true Scotsman argument. Is that what you're you're trying to make? I, I'm not familiar with that, but uh, possibly. I, I would <laughs> contend that also... the people. I would contend that the people that have elected uh, different Republican representatives have done a very poor job of holding their feet to the fire of doing what they say they will do. Okay, but no, no matter what the reasons are, the fact is that for however many decades that this has been going on, it doesn't happen like this. 
So well, let's let, let's break that down a little bit, though. How long has the, has has there been a Republican control of the government, though? The Republicans have been in control of the United States government for a relatively short period of time. Well, uh, from, they, gained, they gained the House in two thousand four, and you know it was twelve the, years, 90, yeah, 96 so, to two thousand eight. So we got twelve years of Republican uh, uh, rule, which is their only time that they've actually had it, and. Let's be honest. Um, from my point of view, they screwed it up. They spent way too much money. We agree. You know, but, and I agree with you on that. So I don't think it's necessarily. Um, and this is where I make the break between Republican and conservative. The idea of fiscal responsibility is a definite conservative ideal that, for some reason, doesn't seem to have been embraced by the Republican Party. Which well, is it kind of got lost. Yeah, I mean, after Gingrich got kicked out, and I don't think Tom Delay or Dick Armey did a very good job of maintaining that. I think they were on the road to that. I mean, they were trying to pass balanced budget amendment a, a number of times, and they couldn't get it to go through. And then when it, it kind of seems like when Gingrich got kind of lost or you know resigned, that they kind of lost their way is when Tom DeLay and Dick Armey took over so, in, that, in the House. But you do believe that when they were they were uh, campaigning, they were actually thinking that they would be um, that they would be spending less going towards that idea of uh, less spending but maybe the system is made in a way that doesn't allow you to to spend less well maybe there's also there's also inertia there yeah you know, exactly that's, that's there's right. inertia within the system to keep to keep it growing government government does not want to shrink no yeah. government wants to shrink so it's a very difficult process in order to go let's let's shrink this government so that's why i say you know if we want to pay for something you say raise taxes i go well Instead of raising taxes, let's cut spending. Then we stay, you know, line level as opposed to going up or down. Let's at least try to do that first. If we can figure out how to, you know, rearrange and balance our budget to do everything we need, I think that's a good place to start. And we can all agree that, especially now, that spending more money is probably a bad idea. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I well, I mean, we have that point, you yes. have to look, also look at the tax structure and the way it is in the United States, and we have federal, state county municipal taxes and we get taxed all the way down the line it just doesn't come from the hey, from the uh, federal government but they uh you know the states don't do all do a good job either we have some states right now that are doing well like texas but well, then we have other states like california new york new jersey michigan who have taxed themselves to death and they're dying right now talking about like an or you have states like Connecticut that don't even have an income tax. You know, I, I hear a lot about uh, the idea, the fact that socialism is sort of like a, 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 a monster to scare the kids. Whenever you hear the word socialism in, in American news, it's like a bad word. And, and it's the spooky thing that people got out, get uh, out of under the bed to, to you know, scare people. Um, it, it, I think it's... Uh, a little bit, uh, how can I say it? Socialism doesn't only have bad sides, and I know because I, I live here, but one of the things that, that struck me was the fact that the actual healthcare policies in the U.S. end up costing more without a, a national healthcare system than, if, than in other countries that have a national healthcare system. So yes, it costs a lot of money, but in the end... It might. Do you, would you agree that it might be a possibility that uh, the state might do a better job than the situation you guys have now if they took care of of, uh, of the the healthcare of the population? I'm not really certain about that, to be honest. Um, I 
I would rather have the give it to the power to the people, like health vouchers or something like that. Uh, the less government interference, the better. I mean, you have to also look at the logistics of something like that. You'd have to crisscross the whole United States. I mean, that's one thing I, I think that Europeans sometimes forget about just how big we are and that implementing something in France or the UK or Germany uh, may be easier to do in certain ways because just because of that. I mean, the, the, the whole distance. I mean, I can, you know, you know, Randy can attest. I mean, he lives in Texas. He could drive 12 hours and still be in the same state. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, that's it's just a, there's there's part well, of that. And I can give I can give uh, Patrick a good context. I live in Denver, Colorado. Uh, the next closest major city to me is Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City is twice the distance as it is from Paris to London. OK, but uh, I, I, I understand that argument and certainly it's interesting. But uh, Samantha Jane in the chat room is saying that Canada did it. And it, Canada is not a small country either. Uh, I, right. it, you know, it's not Can, like it's... Well, I think that that kind of socialized medicine... I mean, honestly, I think it just naturally grates against the American character for the most part. I don't and, think and Americans all... as a Sorry, whole... But... It, it definitely America... grates against the right wing. Well, well it also they, does. They're... I mean... You also have to but take into start... account the state system, too, because you're not just right. talking about a country. You know, France is a country. The United States is a coalition of states. Each state has their own rules and laws and different well, Canada things. Canada has know. states. But not in the same way that the United States does. The, each state <laughs> is – the, the, the word state, <laughs> you know, the, the word state means state. You know, it, each individual state could be its own country. If the United States were to not exist – each individual state has its own constitution, its own legislature, and its own government. So it, it also makes things a little bit more difficult because not only do you have to pierce the, the system of the overall federal government, you have to pierce the, the institutions of each of those states, which are all different. Mm. Yeah, she again, from the chat room, Samantha Jane is saying that uh, they have provinces, which is indeed not as autom aut autonomous, I guess. As, it's, as it is similar. Um, it is similar. Okay. Um, Randy, we didn't hear a lot of you uh, uh, on the on that topic uh, of socialism I just, and healthcare. Uh, I I mean, even even reaching back to taxation, I find that the right wing is really focused on these uh, you know these panaceas and scare words that just don't ever seem to actually work out. You know, the panacea is if you lower taxes and you let the free market work, it's going to cure everything. Well, we put the Republicans in the office in 2000 and they lowered taxes and they, uh, you know, they tried to let the free market work. And what happened, you know, eight years later, we're basically in into another depression. And at the same time, you know, now that we're there, if you turn on turn on Fox News or open up any uh, right-wing newspaper, and you would not believe how often you're going to hear or read the word socialist. Uh, the, the United States is a socialist nation. Uh, we have Social Security, unemployment insurance, a progressive income tax, free education, somewhat socialized medicine, sorry to tell you, minimum wage, usury laws, FDIC insurance. Uh, we pay for, we, we have the government running our army. Uh, we have governments running everything down to the fire department. We don't even have privatized fire departments, man. Nationalizing no. uh, all of these businesses is this tiny little uh, step. Uh, uh, after hundreds of steps the United States has taken to to socialize things, acting like socialism is this new uh, scary word, just uh, it just comes across um, 
sad, quite frankly. Well, it comes across <clears throat> it as a as a missing our history. Well, see, the thing is, is I think most most Republicans and most conservative people want to get as much power back to the individual as possible. And the thing about that is, is it's a very difficult thing to do once the individual is in webbed in these socialist programs. And they are there, and they're not all bad. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that uh, unemployment or welfare or these type of programs are bad. But you can also make an argument for the implementation of them. You know, the welfare, I mean... To give you a little context, when I was a kid, I was on welfare for a good period of time, and getting off of welfare was incredibly hard because the system was not designed to help you and then get you back out. It was to lock you into that system, and I feel a lot of people are afraid that more of these systems become interlocked and you become trapped. You, you can't get out of them. And the only way to, to break free of that is to make sure that the individual has more power. And, and that's kind of where I always lie. I try to get back to give power to the states because when you give power to the states, you give it to more of the people. The people can get to it. People can have an opinion. You know, I can call my senator all I want, but he's not going to necessarily listen to my message that I leave him. Well, I can go down I, to the state capital of Denver and talk to my representative. I have you to know? admit, yeah, the, two things here. Um, the first one is it might come as a shock to our listeners and maybe even you guys. Um, I have to agree with you in, in a way here. Uh, when you get give something to the people, and I know what I'm talking about because I live in a socialist country, it, it's not designed to help you get you back, get yourself back on your feet. And it's more often than not you're comfortable in the situation where, where you're receiving something and you don't go out and do things for yourself and and i agree that that is a valid ar argument uh but on the other hand i do feel for the guy who's been paying his taxes all his life and whose wife gets gets uh struck by cancer and has to sell his house to pay for the for the medicine and the treatment so there's a balance well, part of the government's fault on that too because well, they won't like Medicare or Medicaid, if you have assets or something like that, they won't, you know, they, they, they'll make you sell that yeah, stuff exactly. to, to, to exactly. fund it my, first my, before they help you. I, I, I guess my point is, in France, you don't have to sell anything because the government is going to take care of you. So either, even though they're going to take care of you and that's going to be a bad thing because... Well, even though you're taken care of, you're you might be well, uh, it might be more difficult for you to get off your ass and do something. Uh, on the other hand, there is a good uh, good side to that because you don't get hammered by life with no reason, you know, no warning and no responsibility on your part because that happens too. Um, but and, and with healthcare, the, the, I've always thought that the, the crux of the problem wasn't necessarily to, to provide all care to all people because people, just like you said, nobody gets wiped out because they've had four colds this year. People get in real trouble because they've been hit by a bus. They fell down a mountain skiing. They got cancer. Something something horrible happened. Don't go skiing. You know? It's your own well, fault. But you know what I mean. You know, it was an accident. Nobody, sure, yeah. nobody planned for it. It was an accident. And I've always thought that a, a better approach to an American form of health care would be emergency coverage. Ooh, to, so, so wait, wait, wait. So you're saying that you would agree to that form of, of uh, yeah, socialized like I, medicine for emergency? Like I said. 
not all forms of socialism are bad. There is something that is the, the, the public good, and there is something to be said for people that are completely obliterated by random chance. And it, it there, and also the other, but the other side of that though is, is you also got to leave that freedom in there. Currently, I'm an uninsured person. I have no and insurance. And you shouldn't the- have the right to be. You don't have the right to drive a car if you're uninsured, if your car is well, not insured. That you shouldn't I, the, be allowed is, to, to go without a, a health care policy. That, that, but, I, I don't people, know. But it's that's the my, thing. A healthcare policy and, and this whole idea of health care, too, is also relatively recent. You've you got to realize. I mean, we're talking about since World War II, the kind of idea that – Everybody should be covered by some sort of healthcare system is is brand new. So that some of this mean is it's also a bad st- thing. Oh no, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that there's not one way to do it. And but the other side of that is is when you talk about socialized medicine, just like you were talking about, where it doesn't motivate people to go do things on their own. If you have socialized medicine, wherein we're taking care of everything, you can walk into a clinic at any time to take care of any problem. That means that everybody comes in for every problem. As I, well, I agree. Yeah, that's that's so, why we have huge problems with it here. Um, well, Massachusetts just, tried that health insurance. They required everybody to get health insurance, and they have their own, you know, programs, state programs for people that can't get it through work. So now a lot of you know a lot of employers were like, well, you know, why should I have to supply you health insurance when uh, the state will do it? So they drop their coverage, and then people, everyone goes on to the state coverage. And yeah, now which Massachusetts is, not... is in a problem right now. You know? Okay. So, okay, Brian, can can we get you to agree to the emergency uh, health insurance package? Oh, or certainly. Is that I, I believe? Oh, okay. oh, I believe society. We have, you know, I, I honestly believe that we have a duty to help those that uh, who are downtrodden, or you know, the the people that are bad. I mean, we and we do that in different ways through the through a government and also through charitable giving. I mean, the United States, like when 07, uh Americans gave over three hundred billion dollars in charitable, you know, contributions. Eighty-three percent from individuals. Yeah. By the way, again, um, if if I have to be honest, in France we are one of the countries that gives the least to charitable charitable uh, organizations in the world. So that has an effect, also, I'm sure. Yeah, the U.S. gives one point seven of their gross domestic product, yeah. and France gives point one four percent. Look at you doing your research <laughs> to, to bury me. Good going, Brian. <laughs> um, Randy, anything you want to say about all this before we move on? Because I want to talk about far more uh, controversial topics. I, I do want to say one thing because we just kind of we kind of breezed by it earlier, <clears throat> and that was on the the idea of. The party switch being real and substantive, you know, the idea that that the Republicans only had 12 years and now we're facing some long run of the Democrats running the United States way, way too early to tell. And the reason for that is because those kinds of switches don't happen very often. You know, the previous one had happened 62 years before that. And they often happen on these major, you know, seismic political events, you know, like the Federalists losing power when Washington died or the Democratic Republicans falling when voting rights were extended. You know, those sorts of huge things. And, and you know, for instance, when uh, the slavery was ended in the Civil War, the GOP ran the country for 72 years. So this mm-hmm. conservative era of only 12 years may it may stick like that you know which which you know they had there was also a federalist sorry not a federalist the 
the uh, uh, democratic era leading up to the Great Depression was relatively small, 30 years or so. And there, it may be that what we're facing is so huge that there is a long sort of seismic political shift. But the bottom line is, if you give a, a corrupt and wayward party a lot of time with no real crisis to drive them from power, they can persist. If they screw up early and often, often they get a dozen years. <laughs> well, I think that uh, I agree with Randy. I mean, I think that the party, I don't, I think we're actually, I think those days are over. I think that the long-term control of Congress or, or whatever, you know, of the parties is over. I think we're going to, I think in the years to come, you're going to see a lot more switching back and forth. I, I really I think that's so. the way it's going to be from now on. I, I really uh, hope so because uh, more switching shorter terms incentivizes right. those politicians to be more honest. It's just that maybe, the margins are so razor honest. thin. Maybe honest, but then you don't have any time to, to implement anything. I mean, one of the things that, that has been uh, annoying me a little bit is, uh, actually in any system, is the fact that as soon as the other guys get in power, the guys who didn't get in power start complaining. But of course you're going to complain. You're not going to be happy with what they do because you were not elected because you, the other guys with the different ideas got elected. So if you, if you, I mean, if you start switching every two years, you're going to have people who can't, who don't have time to implement anything and the other half who's going to be pissed off all the time. So I don't know that you can't, you know, you, you, if, if, if they, Actually, I think it was a pretty good thing that you got the cycle of 12 years because you could actually try it out and see that it didn't work. So, but they, at least they had the time to do to try what they wanted to try. Well, but you're also you're also hitting on something that that is incentive or not incentive, but uh, in ingrained in the idea of a two party system in party politics and uh, the us versus them. You know, there, there's a real it's, strong current yeah. of that. And there, there's very little, and the thing that concerns me is there's very little us, you know. Um, just because Randy might be a Democrat doesn't mean I don't think he's a good American. We just have different ideas, and there are definitely things that we can agree on. But more and more, it seems to be that the disagreements are brought to such a level that the things that we agree on get lost. And if you don't have the things that you agree on and those fundamental principles that we all can stand on, then the whole country starts to lose balance. And uh, yeah, I think that's, we see that's a incredibly that's incredibly true. I think the the, the fact that uh, the right and left in the U.S. as well as other countries have been brought up against one another as much is insane because uh, essentially on the world scale they are very close to one another. So. Um, I, I'm sorry, I cut you off, Richard, but uh, finish in, in 30 seconds. I really want to move on to something else. Oh, no, that, that's basically it. I mean, I, I think the bottom line is that a lot of people agree more than they'd like to admit. And I, I think it would do everyone some good to kind of take a step back and be able to have an intelligent conversation with someone on the other side without necessarily throwing bombs and kind of getting back to fundamental ideals that we all agree on. Yeah. Um, I, know, I disagree. No uh, if you, if you, I have nothing to talk Go ahead. I'm sorry. What? Uh, <laughs> go Brian, go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I, I disagree. I don't have anything to say to godless, glassy-eyed Clinton Easter, so. You know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Randy, you, and, were, and you were saying something. To, you know, to really, to really put a period on that, I think Americans, whenever they're talking about politics with their family, their friends, their neighbors, when they're watching TV, 
And, and when people are observing things through the American gla looking glass, you really need to always take a step back and compare the United States to Iran, compare the United States to Egypt. You will, you will be absolutely amazed. We're talking about little tiny differences in political ideologies uh, that there, there's such a massive chasm between the Western democratic world and other places. Let's talk about something we can all disagree on, the right to bear okay. arms. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Brian is happy there. He can yell at us for a little bit. Um, I, I, okay, here's the thing. Um, I, I don't understand, first of all, the right to bear arms, period. I don't understand why citizen. Yeah, exactly. That's that's my point. <laughs> um, the the reason why you would need to have a gun on yourself at any time. Uh, but okay, let's let's agree that you know the the U.S. is a huge country. You might have a house in the middle of nowhere, and you want to be able to defend yourself about uh, against crazy psycho killers and masks that will invade your home. Okay, let's agree with that. Um, from that, explain to me why you need to have automatic weapons and M16s and uh, Uzis and stuff like that because it's your fundamental right. Why is that yeah, important to anyone? Well, first of all, the automatic weapons are, they're not, they're legal, but they're very highly regulated. Now, semi-autos are out there and you know, are available, but not automatics. Automatics have been highly regulated since uh, 1939, the National Firearms Act, and was upheld by U.S. versus Miller in 39. So what so, steps would I have to go through to get an M16 in the U.S.? Like a full auto? Yeah. Uh, you would have to be an American citizen. You'd have to have... Oh, have way, way to record. cut me off here. Good going. <laughs> <laughs> you would uh, have to... Uh, yeah, see right there. Um, you would have to... I go through a lengthy first of all you have to go through the alcohol bureau of alcohol tobacco and firearms atf and apply to them for a class three license and you would also have to get approval from your local uh police like your local sheriff or chief of police whatever your the supreme law enforcement authority in your area is to even get that item and those they haven't allowed imports of full autos since like 1985. So a lot of the weapons that are out there that are full auto are old, and uh, they well, are imports, not you, cheap. I think you do. They are extremely. I think you make them in the U.S. Oh. Yeah, we do. They do make some in the U.S. But I'm just but, saying. Okay, so you have, after you have big all tax these. And they're incredibly expensive. I mean, I'm Fine. not... Fine. Okay. After all these steps, if I became an American citizen and went through all these steps, I would be able to buy an M16, a full automatic for, weapon. Why would 10, I ever need oh. that? Okay. $10,000. I'm rich and insane. Right. I want to buy well, 1,000 M16s. Just go and out 000. somewhere, go to a shooting range and shoot it up. You know, go shoot the range, go... You know, shoot tin cans. I mean, they have competitions. Is tin I mean, can not... shooting worth the, the amusement that tin can shooting is going to okay. give me? Is it worth the dangers I, I, of having a fully? Yeah, but legal weapon? autos have I, not been used in crimes. I got, it, I got to step in because I think we're, we're missing the broader topic. The broader topic is that the is the right to bear arms. Okay, the Second yes. Amendment of the Constitution, and if you hold the Constitution to be law, and what uh, a 
includes our rights as citizens of the United States, the right which, to bear which arms. Which the Bush administration to... has been very liberal with, but go ahead. Well, but but <laughs> the whole idea, though, is is if you believe in that amendment and that right, then does it th – that's the real core of what you're saying is it's not just automatic guns and that that's being kind of nitpicky. It's that we have the right to bear whatever arm we deem necessary to bear. And that gets back to my idea of individual power. If I feel that I need an M16, that is enough reason for me to get one. What about the day that uh, nuclear weapons are available freely on the black market, or maybe not the black market? Let's say, you know, it's an arm, it's a weapon. Well, Where does it I'm, stop? I'm I mean, about, back, talking, well, if well, my it, neighbor gets one, I have to get one too. I, and I'm talking in the broadest <laughs> sense. You know? No, it's a, it's and, it's a very it's a very inter interesting thing that you're saying, Brian, which I think comes back to the uh, to to what. Uh, Richard was actually saying, which is the right to bear arms is not about the size of of your weapon. Oh, so many puns coming to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's really about the fact that uh, as an individual, you have the right to defend yourself in whatever means. It, it's it's again the the, right. the the idea of control and power being in the, the in the hands of the people. It's more than just you having a big gun. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's more than just, I mean, we have a police forces and everything. You can call someone breaks in your house, you call the police. But it takes the police time to get there. And I can tell you, you know, from my experience, that when you're in those situations, those situations happen quicker than when the police can get there. And you need to be able, and in those few minutes till they get there, you may need to defend yourself. You may need to have a firearm to defend or yourself. Not. And that's why it's incumbent upon you to help yourself instead of being a victim and you know and then this goes to the other question is like you know if you take you know the, this is the old one that but it's true if you take you know, guns from law-abiding people the criminals will still have guns and sure. not only that the 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 an armed populace was specifically wanted by the founders of our nation to strike fear into the people that do have power. For example, let's say that Colorado gets taken over by an evil dictator. Okay, good <laughs> happen. All right. Um, we, we elect a governor who goes absolutely stark raving mad and sends the National Guard into my town. I, th I think to by Colorado you, you were meaning to say Texas. Yeah, Texas. Okay. okay um, the you. Branch Davidians have gone nuts, and we have to go get them. Uh, so, but uh, but so we have a have Democratic a, so, governor, don't you? Uh, yeah, we do. We do now. We 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 recently made the switch, so we're really happy about that. Uh, but uh, but the point being that the governor of, of of my state decides to come into an area of our our state and suppress those people because whatever reason he he dis disagrees with them. So he can send the army into that area to suppress those people with the power that he has. In an unarmed situation, in a situation where the populace is not armed, there's no worries. He goes in, he suppresses those people, he can, he can put his power on those people in any manner that he wants to as long as the troops he commands are loyal to him. Arm that populace, and he cannot do that. He has to worry not only about that populace rebelling, but also you know, the wider ramifications of attacking your own people. So it, well, it puts well, a fail-safe in to, to some extent. And this is a bit extreme. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm using a bit of an extreme example. But it keeps people from even going down that path towards mm. those ideas. Um, it's, it's interesting that you're uh, saying it like this because, of course, the first reaction of anyone would be 
yeah, but that's never going to happen now. Like, is is it realistic to you, imagine you a situation also, like this? And you also have to think about when the the, the Bill of Rights was written. Yeah, yeah, and which which is the the argument that you know the the back then maybe it wasn't concerned, but today it isn't. And but it's the same argument, though. The, yeah, the, exactly, it is the exact yeah. same argument that an armed populace is a powerful yeah. populace. Uh, uh, an unarmed populace is a powerless populace. Anybody who has any type of higher hardware can oppress that population. Yeah. Now, and not only does it extend to that, do you even want to think about being a nation trying to av- invade Los Angeles? Oh, my <laughs> dear God. <laughs> well, I also – part of it, too, for me is that um, – that people look at the Second Amendment now in a lot of ways, and they they kind of want to casually disregard it. I mean, it is. I mean, so that which they don't do to like the First Amendment. Let's say, well, why is you know it's just that the Second Amendment is not giving it its due, and they don't take treat it as seriously as maybe they should. And that's you know it's been like that way, and it's, it has turned a little bit. I mean, we had just had recently had the U.S. versus Heller. Or, I mean, sorry, D.C. versus Heller, where a guy that lives in Washington D.C. wanted to buy a gun and kept was kept from doing it by you know the local you know dc commission dc board that runs the that district and uh he won but even now the district of columbia is dragging their feet but that is it because it was ruled it's a it's a right you know he has a right to do that yeah yeah uh, we we all know about the first amendment and you think freedom of speech and freedom of religion it's just as important sure i mean i guess i understand the the reasoning behind it and furthermore um i would say that to the point that something you were saying before uh brian the fact that you have so many guns is often touted as the reason for the violence Whereas you you have an ally, an ally here from an uh, unexpected uh, uh, place in Roger uh, no not Roger <laughs> um, ah crap uh, bowling for Columbine I can't remember oh yeah more. Michael Moore Michael Moore thank you Roger Moore why am I thinking of James Bond um, uh, <laughs> he, he Michael Moore uh, so took a very unexpected route in his uh, documentary saying that uh, Canada had just as many weapons as the U.S. And they didn't have the, the same amount of uh, violence and crime. So it, it suggests right. that the, the amount of weapon is not actually the issue. And so and the, the, you guys well, are Everybody a, has an automatic. All the males have automatic weapons. In well, I, would, I would contend that the thing that needs to happen with gun control in the United States isn't necessarily ban this gun or ban that gun. It has to do with education. Take people out. Wow. Put these guns in their hands. Show them how to use them. Make people realize how powerful and, and deadly a gun is. You know, If you take a group of kids in middle school out and shoot a watermelon, oh then my you go, God. that's what your are you friend's suggesting? head. <laughs> no, this is, this is something. This is something that happens. I have. I, I live in a, a fairly rural area, and I have a, a family. He he took his twenty two rifle out, set up set up a watermelon, and he shot the watermelon with his twelve year old kids watching, and said, "That is your friend's head. If you point this at his head, you hmm. never point this at a person. This thing kills." Those boys respect those weapons very, very much, and it has a, it's a level of education. If you know about what these things are capable of and what they can do, not only are you going to be more careful about them, you're also going to be able to react in a more intelligent manner when they are brought to bear upon you. 
Uh, Randy, you've been very quiet here. They're, they're, they're being insanely reasonable now. I, I'm worried that I might agree with them. Can you, can you bail us out here? Uh, the, there are two things. Yes, there, there is always the correlation between gun ownership and gun prevalence, gun presence in a country like the United States, and violence. Uh, you, can, you make the same correlation in reverse in, uh, and I mean gun violence. You make the same correlation in reverse in countries where the populace do not own any guns. Uh, look at Mexico. Only the, the federal government has guns, uh, legally at least. But then, really, I think the correlation we should be making is between countries that have lots of dense urban poverty and gun crime. That's that's the issue that really needs to be dealt with. As as far as dealing with uh, gun control, so to speak, I just see a big list. There, there's this huge list of weapons, and at the at the top of the list is something like a howitzer, and at the bottom of the list is a butter knife, and they and it goes from from one to the uh, other, and in between are all the different weapons. And at some point along that list, we have to draw a line. And we have to say, you're not allowed to privately own the howitzer. Everybody has the right to have a butter knife. So we've drawn a line. We seem to disagree on the little tiny up and down ticks on that scale where we set that line. But well, I guess we've drawn the line. Yeah, you, We're doing you, all right with it. You well, you have to realize this, this I, issue reverberates with Americans because, I mean, one of the big reasons that a Republican takeover in 94 was because of gun control. The NRA was one of the main reasons why the Republicans were able to take over yeah. uh, take over the Congress that year because of all these you know these gun regulations that the Clinton administration put in and you know Democrats learned a lesson from that I mean there, you have a few of them that right now that try to throw the gun control in it but for the most part most of them are like no way they're not touching yeah. that it's like a third rail for them it's it's interesting because after this conversation it seems to me that gun control is not as big a deal as I thought it was um it might be your jedi mind tricks working on me but um i'll I'll always take that i'll always take the position that um removing something is never as good as educating people about something sure so and, and guns are a perfect example of that there are so many people that walk around this world and their only interaction with a weapon has been with what they've seen on tv or in a movie and that is so outside the realm of reality that you know you get Wait. for example you have people in the in these these school shootings that react in a certain manner because they think these guns can go through walls they can do all these things and they're going to obliterate people but it then maybe i'm getting off track here well but i guess i'm just uh, saying yeah. that edu- education would help people to react in a more sure. appropriate manner Education would help people react in a more uh, uh, appropriate manner when they are confronted with guns, which people who are against uh, the right to bear arms is, or for gun control would tell you they wouldn't need to if you didn't have guns in the streets. Where Brian would answer, but you know, uh, the, the guns are really coming from the, the illegal uh, and the, the, the people who commit crimes, uh, they have the, the dangerous guns. Because law-abiding well, citizens don't. Well, a lot of their gun control measures that they want to put in place aren't realistic. I mean, there, there's, you know, there's hundred, there's over a hundred million guns in the United States. I mean, the gun control would work. Well, you have to you start somewhere. Magic, if you, yeah, but if you could have a magic wand and make all the guns go away, then it might work. But 
right now, but that's not going to it's not going to happen. Well, take the other side of the argument. Look at what happened in Germany here in the last couple months. There was a kid who got into his grandfather's collection of guns. These weren't even guns that he was using for any real purpose. He was just a collector. Yeah. And he was able to get into that collection of guns and come out and do something horrible. If someone has intent to commit a crime, it doesn't matter what law you pass. They're going to commit the crime. I guess the, the, the one thing that would put a, a, an end to the argument, to me anyway, is that if you want to be a little bit reasonable and see both sides of the argument, uh, would be the fact that, as you've stated before, the U.S. is a huge country. And... You can't consider it the same way you would France, because in France we don't have guns and it's not a problem, but we all live rel relatively close to one another. Um, and you, you do need uh, maybe more protection in the U.S. than you do in, in France. And having a gun is an idea that might not appeal to me in France, and I don't think it would appeal to me in the U.S., but if I lived in the middle of, of I don't know what, what state, in the middle of Texas... Uh, maybe I would, or Arizona, for example, where I've been, I would feel pretty unsafe if I didn't have something with me that could, you know, defend myself, uh, that I could defend myself with. Um, for me, that isn't even the issue, though. So For me, the, the whole point of the right to bear arms is that a crowd holding pitchforks yeah. is far less serious than a crowd holding guns. Again, this is another side of the issue, which is often uh, uh, disregarded in the argument. Uh, I, I want to give the last word to, to Randy again on that issue because you are actually from Texas. So I, what do you think I of it? Just, I, want to, I want to argue with one little thing and, and that I really, really am a huge proponent of education as a, a solution to most of the ills in the world. But again, I think that our gun crime problem is related to dense urban, urban poverty. And if you're going to propose a solution of, of going into dense urban areas and showing kids how to use guns <laughs> i i don't well, think you're ever going to get elected but, to the but, office but that's not gun control issue that's a that's like you know that's a social yeah you know yeah, that's but, a social but, weakness but, but it's know? the same thing though I, I i would say if you could get in there and, and educate those people and it doesn't necessarily need to be and it you know about how to shoot and point a gun but educate them to help them get them out of their situation but that that's kind of a different issue yeah but, it, but it, also it, if you live in that neighborhood also, if you live in that neighborhood, you definitely, if you're a law-abiding citizen, you, you probably need a gun more than most people to help defend yourself. Oh, you're gonna that's likely to be but... No, you're going to be more likely to be a victim of crime. You, know, you that, obviously that have never walked was... through Watts, have you? Okay. What? I'm sorry? I said you've, never, you've obviously have never walked through Watts, and being a white guy was far more dangerous for me than other people. It, that, that's a very a terrifying part of the world. I mean, I'll, the, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and then professionally for me with with the weapons, with the Second Amendment, you know, I have a security business. You know, I was I'm former law enforcement, so, and uh, you know, so it would <laughs> any it would regulations make th things easier them. for you actually to to if people uh, didn't. Have, you don't think so? No, I don't. I don't agree. Okay, and then you know, also oh. you have to look at the cultural aspects behind gun ownership in the United States. It's a big deal too. Yeah, so. yeah, but that's yeah, that's the reason why it's so hard to do anything about it, in part. But uh, well, that's the part yeah. where people would go, uh, people from France or other countries would go. You know, this is so almost a a a. Uh, how can I say it with tact? Well, the the right to bear Just arms say is it. a unique. The, the right to bear arms is a <laughs> Just uniquely. Say it. It's a uniquely American thing. Yeah. It really is. No other country really says, you know, here, have at it. 
you guys yeah. have all the weapons, mainly because we're the only government that was made up by people who were holding the guns when they made the laws yeah. and saw themselves as part of that group, not necessarily outside of it. Mm. You know, most countries are, are built from a past of an overreaching ruling class. And even though that class might not exist still to this day, there are still lingering elements of that that remain within the society. And the United States doesn't necessarily have that. So the right to bear arms and the idea that the populace should be fully armed is uniquely American. And it does not surprise me at all that someone that does not live here or was not born here has a hard time understanding that. Sure. Um, okay. We'll have to I take your shoot the next time you come to Vegas, sir. I'm sorry? We'll have to take your shooting the next time you come to Vegas. <laughs> that might be fun. <laughs> and or dangerous. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on to another thing that I really want to talk about, and that is religion. Uh, it might be a little bit uh, strange to put that uh, topic in the in the talk about uh, politics, but uh, of course, you know, the, the Republican Party, it seems to us, has been almost taken over by the religious right. And I want to ask you guys, uh, I don't know your, your uh, religious uh, situation, and I'm not asking you to, to, uh, to elaborate on that specifically. I just want to ask you guys what you think uh, is the place of religion in the Republican Party, maybe in, in politics in general, but that's another debate, in, in the Republican Party in general. What is its place today, and what should it be in your opinion um yeah in 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 as a principle um maybe brian you can start well i think for the most part it, it should be separate i mean but religion is part of who we are a lot of people's lives is a big part of their lives so it's difficult to you know separate completely like i don't want state funding for churches you know i don't want anything like that but i don't think it's like I don't think it's the end of the world and requires lawsuits and everything just because they set up a, you know, a Christmas display, you know, at the city hall or, or something or the Ten Commandments in a courtroom. You know, it's a basic, you know, tenant of law. Um, you know, those things, wait, when wait, they start wait, wait, nitpicking wait. about that so stuff, that gets on my nerves. That's, that's, that's an interesting issue you're talking about. The Ten Commandments as one of the basic tenants of law. I don't think it is. Uh, and I, I well, some I, of it. I mean, thou shalt well, not, you know, that, kill. That's, I, I that's called mistaken. common sense. I might be mistaken, but the Ten Commandments are part of the quoted sources for for what built the basis of our judicial system, yes. along with a lot of other things that go along with it. I think they've even right. quoted from the Quran. I mean, the, right. uh, the founders of this nation took laws from all kinds of different areas, and whether you want to admit it or not, I mean, Turkey made a great example in the Islam for Dummies that um, is, is the the religion of Islam is set up to be a government. So I, I think it's kind of hard to talk about law and not talk about religion because in some, at least in some part, laws have been taken from religious practices. Yes, but certainly you don't say that the people who want the Ten Commandments to be displayed in the courtroom are saying it just because, hey, it's a good idea for, you know, for, for commandments as commandments go. It's because they want You know, it, they place the Christian, uh, the Catholic religion in a higher place than anything else. And they, they want to further that. Uh, I don't want to say agenda because it's too it's too egregious. Mm. But, you know, it, I, I come down. 
I come down on the I, same I side I always do with things like this. I, I say it is a state and local issue. It is not something that should be decided by a federal government. It should be something that should be taken down into the, as far locally as you want. Mm-hmm. If the city of Brighton, Colorado wants to display the Ten Commandments on their courthouse, and we're okay with that here in the city of Brighton, it should be fine. But if the state of Colorado doesn't want it displayed on the state house, that's a completely different issue. And there you go being Republican again and, and small government – that's so annoying. <laughs> right. Um, but well, okay, like that's a long discussion that I don't want to derail uh, into too much because that's far more sure. religion than, than politics, actually. Uh, m- my original question was, what is the place of, the, uh, of religion in the Republican Party? Because it seems to us that it has taken a huge uh, place in the Republican Party. So I'd want to have your, your uh, opinion on that. Well, you need to, they, they're going to need a voice. The, the Christian right um, does need a voice, and they're going to be heard. And it just seems that the, that the most of it comes to the Republican Party, that people gravitate, that have that Christian right you know, viewpoint, tend to gravitate to the Republican Party. But, and that's a part of the party, not the whole party. Not everybody in the party is a part of the Christian right. But you have to take it seriously. Because those people are, you know, serious about what they're what they believe in, and that it is going to be a part of, and it is going to have an impact on Republican policies, uh, you know, like in abortion, stem cell research. You know, I don't think I don't think it's a the end of the world to to introduce that kind of moral, you know, quandary. You know, that abortion has there's a moral component to it. Stem cell research, there's a moral component to it. You may not agree with it, but it is part of the, you know, you just can't disregard it. And I think that's, uh, you know, I think that the Christian right, you know, you know, like I said, I don't necessarily agree with everything that they might stand for, or, you know, whatever, but they, they have a right to view their point, you know, their, they have their viewpoint, you know, aired. And they do that mostly through the Republican Party. So you, you don't think they had a too big a place in the past eight years? In the in the Republican Party, I think it, the I think their impact was a little bit more, and not as not as much as it is right now. I think when, I think in the eighties and uh, and in the nineties, I think they had more, I think they had more impact. You know, Jerry Falwell and all that kind of stuff. Who I didn't, I, you know, I, I don't like I don't like those kind of ultra polarizing figures. I don't think it's beneficial. I think yeah. Like again, I said, I think I'm, I'm not asking for you to to tell me your situation specifically, but. Uh, Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to put you on the spot there, but no. um, yeah. Well, for me, there's a reason, once again, that I, I have checked independent instead of Republican. And the religious right has a lot to do with that. Um, because I did feel to a certain extent that the, the religious right did hijack the party. And I mean, a perfect example to me was the Terry Schiavo case. I thought that was absolutely deplorable. The whole thing was absolutely ridiculous. This was um, a or situation just, where... Yeah, if you it, can explain it for people who don't... Uh, Terry Schiavo was someone who... Um, I, I'm kind of fuzzy on the details right now. but well, the, she, was the crux of it was, she was brain dead. Yeah, she was brain dead. She was brain dead. She was brain dead and being tube fed, and her husband and the doctors were thinking of uh, pulling the plug on her and letting her die. And the whole religious right got absolutely up in arms about this. And this is the whole group of people that are also very hardcore on, on abortion. And it turned into this huge national thing, and to the point where I feel the Republican Party even 
broke the law in passing a law regarding her specifically, which is not something that the Congress is supposed to do. They're not supposed to pass any law regarding a certain individual in any manner. And that whole argument was so ridiculous to me because it, it, imp- it infringed upon the freedom and privacy of that family. It, it, it was nobody else's business what went on there other than their own. And well, if you, if you argue that she was still alive and that they were killing someone... You know, you can't allow citizens to 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 murder someone. If you if you right. agree with the fact that she was alive and it that it was indeed murder, which is you know whatever you might disagree, but if you do agree, then it is the the government's business to protect that life. But the thing is, her those family was on the other side. They did not want the the life support removed. So that was. But like I said, that was a family issue, though. It, it, it did not need to go beyond them. And for me, that, that was what was wrong with that whole situation. And decisions like this are made every day all over the world. People are in all – like I said, in horrible, horrible things happen to people all the time, and decisions need to be made about them. And especially with decisions that have to do with the life or uh, well-being of a family member, it should be a private issue. And other so, people should not be getting involved in that. So and, and even in, in, in these uh, moral slash religious matters, you think that the privacy of the of the you know the privacy of the citizen applies? Absolutely, your own your own privacy is is one of the parts of your uh, individual freedom as well. Um, and and this is where I come down on the abortion issue as well. Is that it, you know. It, I have a a rule where if I can add three ifs to something, I should probably leave it up to the people that are involved in the situation. Mm. So, uh, and then that's how I feel about that. But as far as religion goes within a party, religion does serve a very good purpose as a moral compass. And there is great value, like Brian said, to the idea of a moral compass and whether this is right or wrong. Now, the amount of involvement that goes with that. That's where I start having issues with it. I mean, people barricading Planned Parenthoods and and doing horrible things to people that are just trying to get on with their lives and make what is already a, a, an incredibly hard decision is wrong, in my opinion. I, I really don't think they should be getting involved on that level. You know, it's one thing to take someone into counseling and go, okay, we can help you. We can put the baby up for adoption or whatever the situation happens to be and help that person make their decision. But once they've made their decision, you should respect that and stand aside. Randy, you're being very quiet again. Uh, Brian, you're... I'm just I'm stunned. I'm stunned that the the whole discussion started with Glenn Beck and has gotten to Terry Schiavo without my interference on those subjects because <laughs> that the Terry Schiavo problem back in 2002 is what vaulted Glenn Beck from obscurity into uh, being known by a lot of people. He's the guy who came on and lied horribly about what had caused her condition and ranted and raved. And he really made a name for himself during the Terry Schiavo problem <laughs> with the media. And, and it, I just think it's, it's of kind that. of fascinating. I'm um, aware of I that. Mean, and you can't agree with everybody all the time, unfortunately. It's it's uh it's just kind of funny to me that that's that's what what we've come to, um, as as far as as far as the the Republicans or the the right wing go, I think we I think in this show we have hit on all the all the big things that make what we used to call the Christian coalition, which started with Pat Robertson running for president in 1988. Uh, you know we've we've hit the uh, the desire for conservative fiscal. Uh, spending, which you know we've we've seen doesn't really happen, but uh, the desire for lower taxes. We haven't really talked a lot about foreign policy hawkishness, but that's that's a big one. You know, anti-abortion, 
and then uh, uh, I Gay think you, know, you get into uh, right you get into all of the social conservatism which uh, you know it, it, it kind of, well, one of the other things that comes and goes the when, it, sometimes the Republican Party seems to be really wanting more social conservatism and then there's a backlash and they all pretend that they didn't really want all of these things and <clears throat> that's that's really the whole coalition and right now it's on the outs because all of those things are on the outs you know the anti-abortion stance the state of abortion in the western democratic world hasn't changed in 30 years uh foreign policy hawkishness uh it's proven to be a bit of a disaster for the united states the last decade and and so on and so on so I'm going back to my original question, which is the place of of the Christian right in the uh, in the Republican Party. Do you see it as being um, having a voice only in the Republican Party and nowhere else, or is it a good thing? Or for the most part, well, yes, I think I, I think most. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, guys. I just wanted to have Randy's opinion on this. Oh, I apologize. If we're talking, if we're talking solely about that Christian coalition. Where when you you use the word right, then yes, the broad base of Christian voters in the United States are all over the map. I mean, there there's a nice chunk of Christians who voted for Barack Obama, and and the, yeah, I will guarantee you that almost every uh, representative, senator, and member of Obama's administration have said in front of crowds of supporters as before they were getting elected or appointed. I am a Christian, and I go to church, and and so forth. So it's completely across the map. Uh, putting all of them into the right wing is just not an, an accurate uh, understanding of the United States. That's almost to me. Um, you could make the same kind of argument towards the environmental movement in the Democratic Party. Um, that there there is an extreme group that has a very large voice, but also cross pollinates both parties. You know, just because, you know, people, you know, you know what I mean? It's just because you're a Democrat doesn't mean you're not a Christian. And just because you're a Republican doesn't mean you're not an environmentalist. Well, which is, I guess, the, the, the reason why I say the, you know, the Christian right, understanding that I mean the extremist part of that, of the, you know, the, the Christian spectrum, I guess. Um, because it seems the reason why I'm talking about it at all is that it seems to us that the, the Republican Party today is driven or maybe not today that, you know, they're not in power anymore. I guess the, the Christian right didn't get be behind the Republican Party as much in the last election, but they did drive the uh, Republican uh, Party for a, a majority of the last uh, eight years. And... It's not that it's right or that it's wrong. I would think that it was not a, a, a personally. I would think that it wasn't the best of influences in most cases, but um, it's it's the idea that is it an essential component of the Republican Party? Is it necessary for the makeup of the Republican Party? And most of you seem to say that that faction of of uh, of the Christian uh, uh, population which is the most uh, extreme, I guess, is indeed in the, I embedded in the Republican Party for the most part. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, there's, there's, uh, that's given it's been that way for 20 years. So, there, I mean, it, it's, I, 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 there's no denying it. No one denies it. In fact, the, the major leaders 
of the Christian coalition on the right wing, if anything, will complain very, very loudly that they don't have enough power and authority to drive the Republican Party. So I guess my next question would be, um, we hear a lot about those Republicans. And speaking with you guys, I get, I've stated many times in this show, um, I get sort of a different feel about the kind of conversations you might have with Republicans. Because for me, Republicans are, um, I don't know, uh, crazy Glenn Beck or boogeyman. <laughs> insane O'Reilly and people like that. Where are you guys? Where are the moderate Republicans? Is there such a thing as a moderate, maybe not moderate, but, you know, uh, uh, someone who's not driven by those uh, ideas and, and uh, extreme behaviors? Well, let's face it. We're not that fun to videotape. Um, we, we, we don't jump around and do crazy things and, you know, throw things at people and, and act insane. I mean, it, it's just like uh, you, you kind of get – I'm saying this again, but you kind of get the same thing from the environmental left. You know, these people that are like living in trees and, you know, and doing all these insane things. It's kind of the same thing. You don't get the coverage of the middle because the middle is boring okay, to, to an I, extent. I, I, I agree. And uh, I, I understand what you're saying, but those people living in trees, uh, we were talking before the show started about that video uh, of amazing uh, tree huggers to the literal sense of the, of the expression there, uh, who are crying for dead trees in the forest, which is amazing in so many ways. Uh, those people are not the democratic leaders. Uh, when you had uh, the, the primaries who were go going on in the, um, in the U.S. last year, when people would ask uh, Republican leaders who among them believed in evolution or didn't believe in evolution, rather, half of them raised their hands. And I'm sure that some listeners will tell me, hey, you know, evolution is a theory and fine. You, you think whatever you want. It's If you, you have educated people who raise their hands when they say, do you not believe in, evo in evolution? When you have half of them who do that, it's, I'm sorry, I have a problem with it. And it touches on something else that's uh, also a problem, but we might get on afterwards, which is the sort of anti-intellectualism uh, that has been going on in the, in the uh, uh, Republican Party for a few years. But let's touch on that, that idea that you say, uh, Richard, we're not so fun to videotape, I guess, okay, but then where are the leaders who represent your, your reasonable and moderate uh, Republican ideas. I'm not saying there shouldn't be uh, extremists uh, or more far-right uh, Republicans, but there should also be more moderate Republicans, and I don't see them anywhere, even in the leaders. Well, I'm, I'm almost wondering if uh, uh, a truly moderate Republican that stands for the type of things that I, I personally stand for, which would be fiscal conservatism, you know, less spending, trying to cut taxes, moving power to people as much as possible, and letting people hold on to what they make as much as they can. I, I get to the point where I wonder if that person 
cannot function within the system that we currently have. And when you end up with something like that, where you maybe you get somebody like that and they start that way, and they really intend to be that, but then you have a voting coalition within the Republican Party, and, and this might be me getting into my hatred for the two-party system, but um, when you have a coalition of a party and you have a, a certain group that has a strong hold within that, you have to appeal to that group. When you vote for a Republican, you're not just for voting for that person. You're voting for the policies of the overall Republican Party because they're going to be the people that are going to be pushing behind that person once they get into that seat. So I think people may raise their hand because maybe they believe it, maybe they don't, but they're trying to appeal to that group of people that is voting for them. Now, the thing about a fundamentalist Christian view is I don't like how people denigrate it. Um, I, I personally believe in evolution, and I'm also a very strong religious person, though I don't belong to a de- denomination. But I see no conflict between evolution and religion. But for some reason, there's been this this crush in the last 50 years that evolution and religion cannot coexist together. They they don't exist, and or they don't they don't agree with each other in any manner. So you get both sides. You get the left. You get what would be considered the left side of a, of a hardline evolutionary person who is an atheist. There is no God. There is no religion. There is only this. And after this, we are mud. And then you have the other side, which is the extreme right of the world was created in six days. The, the Bible is exactly as God breathed it, and on like that. Most people, I think, are more in the middle and influenced to one way or the other. Well, so I guess are... just just to, to uh, rebound on what you're saying, I, also, I don't see why it shouldn't be acceptable that evolution is a, an act of God. It's that it's the way God designed it. That would be an acceptable idea. But I guess what I was talking about was creationism and the idea that the world is 6,000 years old which is a whole different level I, altogether. I, right? I, like I said, it's getting towards that idea that they're incompatible. Yeah. Okay? So people say, um, I want to believe in God. I, I am a, I'm a Christian. I, I firmly believe that there's a creator, and I, am, I believe in God very deeply. Therefore, because of what I, the input I'm receiving, I cannot believe in evolution because they don't go together. And mm-hmm. I think that is um, a, a false argument. That, yeah. that, that is I, not the case at all. But I think a lot of people fall into that trap. So you get, like I said, both sides. So I think a lot of the people that um, believe that the world is made in six days and fall into this line, they believe that because they think the other belief, the belief in evolution, is the antithesis of that. If you believe in evolution, you cannot believe in God. Mm. And that's we're, the we're conflict. Getting, we're getting a little bit derailed here, uh, and I would love to have this conversation. We'll we'll probably have it in another uh, Phileas Club special. But um, uh, I really want to get into the idea that moderate Republicans don't exist anymore. And uh, again, I can't, you know, I can't well, disagree. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's I, yeah. Bra- I, well, I, both parties ahead, have, have fallen on both parties have fallen on the same lines that. Both parties have polarized to a certain extent. Um, you know, the Democrats really? can't you, say you, the blue dog. Well, blue, blue dog Democrats are are a, a rare species anymore. And what you're thinking about is the classic, uh, like you know, like Rockefeller Republican. You know, the Republican from the Northeast, which there are some. I mean, Olympia Snow. The, well, actually, the two Republican senators from Maine were are not what you can are very moderate. They're very middle road. You know, they agree with the Democrats. They vote with the Democrats at times, hmm. uh, but they're still Republicans. You know, and then they, the former uh, senator from Rhode Island, Lincoln Chapey, he was the same way. That's your classic 
Nelson, you know, Rockefeller Republican, that Northeast Republican uh, Protestant, that, you know, that that is gotten less. I mean, there are less of those people around, but there's also less, you know, blue dog Democrats, you know, the hawks, you know, foreign policy and defense, but maybe a little more liberal or vote Democratic on other, you know, social issues and stuff. Those people have gone gone to the wayside also. So, again, you're saying it's, you know, uh Democrat, uh, Republican, Republican, Republican. I don't know. You're saying it's the same thing on both uh, sides of the aisle. Yeah, I um, think both sides have, have polarized more, to, you know, to a certain extent. You know, that's just the way it, it's worked out. You know, that's just the way things have have gone here lately. And, you seems, know, you can't. Seems dif difficult to believe because to me, the, the, the Republicans are a lot more extreme than the Democrats. But maybe that's where I'm standing from, which would make sense, actually. Uh, and which is why I'm going to turn to to Randy, uh, who's been on both I, I was going to. I was going to say the Republicans certainly wouldn't say that. The The Republicans have been saying the phrase center-right nation a lot the last six months. We've heard America is a center-right nation so much that I it makes me shake my head because it's a relative term. You know, it's like I could describe myself as being center-left, but I'm only comparing myself to the mainstream, and the mainstream can't be center-right in comparison to the mainstream. So... You know, you well, have to I, ask I can, yourself, I can assure you on the world stage, you guys are not center right. Definitely not. So, <laughs> you, you know, I, I, I completely I completely agree. But I think what, what you really what you really want to understand is what does that mean? You know, what 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 are what are we really, really talking about? And, and what we're talking about is this uh, current political socioeconomic crisis Uh, that we haven't had in a very, very long time. There's been nothing like this since, at the very least, the late 60s, maybe the 1930s. And if you if you don't have that on the table, I, I don't think you have the context for what's what's really happening in the United States right now. Uh, America may be more conservative than the Democrats for the last 40 years, but that needs that needs really heavy caveats. If you, I mean, if you look at poll data, I think there are only a handful of issues where America is genuinely more conservative than the Democrats. National security, terrorism, crime, all, every single time. And then there's these other issues where the Republicans and the Democrats get favored occasionally, such as taxes, the economy. And, and then there's uh, issues where the Democrats almost always dominate the polls, such as health care and the environment and social security. But then the Democrats always have this electoral problem, it will, I shouldn't say always, for the last 40 years, and that's where Republicans dominate uh, in, in the elections. It, you know, crime had a massive spike in the 60s. Uh, the Democrats lost their FDR, Truman, JFK, national security cred under Johnson and Carter. 9-11, uh, September 11th, 2001, gave the GOP this huge electoral boost. And that's shifting again. And so you have all of the crazies coming out of the woodwork again. You know, that's that's just the way that this goes. And I really do believe it was going the opposite way eight to 12 years ago. I, like I say, I recall very, very vividly the rise of Ariana Huffington and, and Keith Olbermann and so forth. You know, it's just we're just swinging the other direction right now. So you think you think things will be better in uh, in two to four years for the Republican Party, more reasonable. I don't. I, 
that depends on just how far the rabbit hole of the economic crisis goes. And, and other things as well. I, I, I would contend that the Republican Party is in major turmoil at the moment. Um, there, there is definite contingent of people, myself included, that feel that the people that were elected during the Bush administration did not follow through with what we consider to be conservative values, which would be mainly the fiscal side of things. You know, the, the Bush administration spent us into oblivion. I mean, I'm still floored that the guy vetoed, what, three things? Like, come on. I mean, that's just insane. I don't care if they're your Congress or not. There's some things that, you know, if you're standing for true conservative ideals, there, there are things that should have been vetoed within those seven years or so, eight years before he, he finally did something about anything. So do you think so, that there will be a truly conservative leader that will rise up of the ashes of, uh, of the Republican Party as we knew it for the past I, years? I Either that or um, there – I feel there's a distinct possibility that there will be a break-off party that um, would leave the Republican Party and try to ferment their own candidate if that can happen. Um, one of the things that, that I think that people should keep an eye on and I think that no matter what your belief system you should try to participate in is uh, – I'm going to drop the name again. But Glenn Beck started this thing called, he calls the 912 Project and if, whatever you want to make with the name, the idea behind it is actually pretty good, which is get back down to principle. What do you believe in? Not what party, you know, what, what are the things that you believe in? And let's try to build a conversation off of that. Um, it, it's an interesting way to put it. I, I didn't take away something as uh, moderate when I saw that video, but okay. Yeah, well, you were looking at the tail end of it as well. I but guess. if you if you go actually go into those forums and check it out... I think it's a very good microcosm of what's happening within most Republican thought right now. This idea that the the representatives are not representing us in the way that we would like to, and what do we do about that? Okay, um, Randy, I'm I'm going back to you to ask you the question of: Do you think that there is no um, uh, moderate Democrat as Brian contended before, in the same way that there aren't any moderate Republicans? I, I don't know. For the rest of the world, that's a nearly impossible question because we're in a two-party system where you're you're only splitting votes with uh, opposition on every issue, and, and it's a singular opposition on every issue. So to someone to uh, Barack Obama's left, he looks like a, a moderate. And there are a lot of people to Barack Obama's left in the United States. Okay, okay. And he, no, looks, I get, he I get, looks very much like a moderate. Okay, I get what you're saying, but to, when you see the Republican Party, it seems to me that there is no moderate, credible moderate leader in this party. There's no figure that you can say, okay, this person stands for something that is in, 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 uh, in accordance to the Republican Party's values, and he is not... You know, he's something that can stand on his own and that that can uh, be credible. Well, a in few years same ago, way, I would have described. In, I would have happily described John McCain that way a few years ago. But we nominated him for president, and he threw out everything that he used to stand on which as a is, moderate, which is in my order point. to get the votes of the right wing. Which is my point. There, the, the, there are no more moderates in the Republican Party. My question no, is: No, no, there, there, there are no moderates when you're trying to get elected because it's a two-party system. Is okay, my point. so what, what of the that Democratic Party? I'm sorry, just to finish, the, just to finish this, Richard. Sorry. What, what about the the Democratic? Party. Is there any moderate person in the Democratic Party as a whole? 
uh, or do, does that also disappear once you start to get elected to to try and get elected? Oh. I mean, yes, it's a, it's the same situation on the other side of the aisle. Okay, good. So well, you could say that Obama went to the center more, you know, uh, to get elected, and now he's going back to his left left roots or whatever. So I mean, that, that's which was which was things. a vacuum action, by the way, and that happens again in in many of these large national. Uh, two-person choices. Uh, when McCain w went to the right chasing votes, there, and there were a lot of votes to his right, that created a vacuum that sucked uh, Obama into it. And that, that just, that's just the way it always goes. When you're, when you're not running for election and you're not trying to convince someone in a church or at a Save the Trees rally <laughs> that you are just like them, you can be a great moderate. And both parties have people who, who do that between elections. No, oh, definitely. Um, okay, Richard, I, I cut you off just before. Oh, I, I, Randy pretty much hit what I was going to say. Um, it, when I said earlier that when you vote for a person, you don't just vote for that person; you vote for the coalition. So when you know when you put a Republican in a seat in the Congress, you didn't just put you know John Abrams in that seat. You put John Abrams and the entire Republican agenda in that seat, mm -hmm. and they are going to lean on him to move policy where the overall party sees where that policy should go. And the same thing happens on the Democratic side. So each individual is dealing with enormous pressures within within their party because there are every I think every person that gets elected to office legitimately has things that they want to do that they think are right for their community. But they have to compromise that in order to get reelected and continue to do that job. Sure. And yeah, I guess I, this is the political game, and it's the same everywhere. But yes, in, indeed, of course. Yeah. Okay, um, we've been going on for almost uh, two hours here uh, in the show, so I guess it, it, we could talk for hours about all this and i feel like we we probably should if we really wanted to get to the bottom of many of these issues and some others that we didn't mention but we have to stop at to stop at some point and uh, i think that's going to be that point so i want to thank uh the three of you for coming on the show uh, for for um <laughs> for bearing with me and my insane uh ramblings uh from france Um, is there anything you guys want to want to pimp or talk about before we we close off the show? Um, if you you have a, I don't know website or something, Brian, uh, is there something you want to talk about? Um, I would just say just uh, just be informed. I mean, just if you want to learn about stuff, look at stuff at different different sources. Read the Wall Street Journal. Read the New York Times. You know, look at the both ways. You know, just don't. Just don't sit on your butt and, you know, listen to one line. Well, that's something I wish I had said. Um, definitely. We're, we're talking about uh, Adriana, uh, Ariana Huffington and, and Glenn Beck and making fun of everyone. I guess, yeah, indeed. The, don't listen to just one of those people. And actually, maybe you should, re if you listen to only one or two, don't listen to them. Uh, <laughs> listen to, to people who are less... Uh, I'm going to say extreme to say uh, politically correct. Uh, so thanks for that. Because I listen to those commie liberals on NPR, you know, <laughs> and it doesn't bother me. I mean, you know, so. No, yeah. I, I always think you should listen to everybody and filter it through your own experience and make your own decision. Very wise words. Um, okay, so I was thinking more of, of Twitter and stuff like that, actually, but... Uh, <laughs> 
far less noble. Uh, so, Brian, did anything like that or just the pearls of wisdom? Uh, I think uh, I ended up on a high note, so I'll leave it there. So, Okay, good for you. I, I, I suspect that we are not going to be as noble. Um, uh, Richard, anything you want to pimp? Oh, if, if you want to follow me on Twitter, oh, this is going to be fun for everybody. Uh, my Twitter name is vicious underscore bomber. There's a long story behind that, and it has nothing to do with anything that those words are. And it actually has to do with uh, collectible card gaming. But uh, um, you can check out my website at falloutcentral.net. Um, I'm welcome to anybody coming over there and saying whatever you want. And um, if you want, you can listen to archives of my old podcast, The Fallout Shelter. It's still available on iTunes, and uh, I, I do have plans to restart it at some point in my life when I'm less busy. So, <laughs> so, what, we, so do you have a little cabin this... in the middle of the woods in Colorado? Or? Oh, God, no. no. Okay, okay. I, now you forced me to tell the story. I wasn't going to tell the story. Now I have to explain. Back in 1999, my friend worked at the, the Texas Roadhouse, and as a gift, he was given by somebody a stress ball, you know, these little, like, um, hard plastic kind of balls that you're supposed to squeeze when you're stressed out, and it was a pig. And um, at the time, we had a room in our house that we set up for gaming, so it was set up to, to play card games and video games and do all these sorts of things. We had people over all the time. And eventually, uh, my friend Paul got the idea that throwing pig, the pig at people was very, very funny. And throwing, the, we, we called it pigging somebody. And... Um, Trying to dodge the pig was a pigable offense. And um, eventually it turned into, I will bomb you. If you don't, you know, it's like, uh, give me a glass of water. Well, I don't want to. Get me one or I will bomb you. And it meant throwing the pig at you. And we were we were trying to get together a name for our, our Magic the Gathering team. It was a group of people we played together. And um, he was rather drunk when I was trying to make this decision. And he was screaming about how he was going to bomb everybody with the stupid little pig. And I said, that's it. We're, we're Vicious Bombings. That's the name of our team. We're going to be Team Vicious Bombings. And that's where the name comes from. I have to say that the first time you you, you contacted me uh, through email, um, I, I think it was under the the, the name uh, Vicious Bomber. Yes. And <laughs> I, I, I chose my words very carefully in answering you. Um, so <laughs> I've well, been concerned about that also. Yeah, it 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 it's hounded me for years. And and you want to know the most horrible thing is is uh like I said, this is a Magic the Gathering team. We actually played this collectible card game professionally. I actually played in a professional tournament. Um, it was a team tournament in New York City in September of 2001, the oh. weekend before September 11th happened, under the name Vicious Bombings. <laughs> wow, that's that's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we, we applied to play in another tournament a after the event, and our name was rejected. So, Which is understandable. Even, I totally agree. So, <laughs> Okay. Um, so, Vicious Bomber on Twitter. Uh, and, Randy, what would you want to pimp today? Twitter.com slash Randy Deluxe is where you can keep up with my silly observations of the universe oh and can i give you one that's too long to fit into twitter that's directly germane to this show go ahead you ready this actually this actually could be the impetus for a whole other episode of the Phileas club you can i'm scared you can examine but... education you can examine education and political leaning uh we i i was Ed education a, a and what people. sorry you're, you're breaking up a little bit political leaning and, huh. and I just quickly, while, while we were recording, I found that I had named a bunch of people that were on either side of the political divide in the United States, and I looked them all up. And I just, I just find this strange dichotomy. Ariana Huffington, Masters in Economics from Cambridge. Keith Olbermann, accepted at Cornell at age 16. Rachel Maddow, Rhodes Scholar, PhD from Oxford. 
On the other side, Rush Limbaugh, high school diploma, Sean Hannity, high school graduate, Glenn Beck, high school graduate who did attend some college, and he studied theology. Um, the only one I could find that really Im had an impressive education to some degree was uh, Ann Coulter, but unfortunately she went to law school, so we kind of lost her <laughs> from ever having any real education. What about Bill O'Reilly? I didn't look him up. I should have looked. You're right. I should have looked up Bill O'Reilly. He went to Harvard Business School. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a, it's a strange little observation that I'll leave you with. Again, uh, yeah. Twitter.com/slash/RandyDeluxe. You, you know what you just did? You did what I, I was uh, talking about when I said uh, that Fox talked about uh, Obama's speech, saying, "I'm just doing an observation." The 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 Dow plunged ten thousand points when he was speaking. I'm just saying. I'm not saying it's related. I'm just doing an observation. I'm not. So I'm yeah, sure exactly. not saying it's related at all. It's just it's just fascinating little subject. Uh -huh. I, I well, also have to wonder how much it matters. But anyway, well, yeah, that will be a a topic for another show that I'm sure we'll be screaming uh, into uh, later in the Phileas Club. And if you want to uh, find out about all the ways you can contact us uh, and me. Uh, you can go to the PhileasClub.com. Phileas is P-H-I-L-E-A-S. Um, and you will find on the site uh, the forums, the um, Twitter account that I post to, uh, the, the schedule, and a lot of other things that you will you are sure to enjoy so uh we're gonna get out of here i want to thank again my three guests for coming on the show i want to thank the chat room for being patient and to uh, for participating in the discussions we might uh keep talking for a little bit with the chat room here so if you ever want to uh come and uh, watch us live for the next show you can do that and uh before we leave i just want to tell everyone that the next Phileas Club is probably going to be on the 25th uh, on Saturday at an undeterminate time for now. But uh, just go to the site and you will see uh, the schedule for all the shows we do. So thanks again, everyone. And uh, thanks for the discussion. We will talk to you soon. Bye. Oh, bye. <laughs>